Hi, welcome to our study of patterns found in God's Word. Today I want to look at the book of Esther. Esther really is a fascinating book, and the reason being is God's name is never used in the book, or really referred to, and yet God's fingerprints are absolutely everywhere in this book. Kind of like your life. You don't think God's really working in your life, but if you look hard, you see him active everywhere where you go. Esther, to begin with, let's look at the problem. There is a major problem that God needs to deal with, and that is racism against the Jews. And we know that there's racism in the country because there's a large number of enemies of God's people that get killed at the end of this book, over 75,000 people. And at the beginning of the book, Mordecai's telling her, don't tell anybody who your people are. And then thirdly, Haman, he's got this extreme hatred for the Jews. And you don't know, there's no reason for these people to have this kind of hatred. That's why we're calling it racism. And that's the problem that God needs to deal with because he's trying to preserve his people, definitely, because his son's going to be coming along. And so he needs to accomplish this. Solution? Well, put protection in the palace. So God's going to take Esther, make her queen, win royal support. Getting that royal support is also going to open up the door for Mordecai to step up and become second to the king, which is what God has done before when you look back in the book of Daniel. Daniel was second to Nebuchadnezzar uh, of the Babylonians, and then he was second to Darius of the Persians. And Joseph, he was second to, to Pharaoh, protecting God's people. So that's what he wants to do. And then let's eliminate the major bulk of these enemies of God's people to reduce this racism that's going on in the country. How does God accomplish all this? Well, this is where you're starting to see God's fingerprints. He relies on people's character to accomplish his will. And by a series of coincidences, which some people call God incidences, but it's coincidences, right? Some people don't even think it's a, it's a true historical book because there's too many coincidences in here. Well, all we're seeing is God working in the lives of people. And then by relying on his people's mercy, and he teaches a lesson through them, and we'll see that at the end of the book and talk more on that. Let's put it into the matrix, and let's see what this book's all about. Ten chapters, one, one to nine fit perfectly in the matrix, ten slides into the self-control. So it's an easy book to break into, and it fits very nicely, as we shall see. Chapter one, love, trusting God's word. Well, in this chapter, you don't see any love. As a matter of fact, you see the opposite. Azarius has a major pride problem. Why? Well, he's king. Kings don't listen to gods. Kings don't listen, but to themselves. And here we see him, 180 days, that's six months, displaying the riches of his kingdom. He's full of himself. And then he's got a seven-day banquet for all of his friends. And near the end of the banquet, now he wants to display his wife. So God's using Azarius' pride to accomplish his will. Right? And then Vashti. Does God touch Vashti? Because for some reason, her morals seem to stand up, and she's not about to be displayed by her husband for all his friends, and she's going to say no to this, which is beautiful because it gets her banned from the king. And so now he's divorced, and he's, the door has opened up for Esther to step in and to become the next queen. What's really cool is that... Vashti doesn't lose her life. She just gets banned. But now the doors have opened up. And the question is, how will God use you? He used Azarius' pride. He used Vashti's morals. And how will he use you, in a positive or a negative? Chapter 2, obeying God's word. Esther is pleased. 
Esther pleased and found favor with Haggai when she gets taken to the harem. And he quickly provides her with cosmetics, seven maids, and the best location in the harem. How did she please him? Well, just ask yourselves, if you've got two new people coming into work uh, at your job site, one's humble and obedient, one's arrogant and full of pride, which one is going to please you? I mean, it's a no-brainer. So when she's obeying God's word by obeying authorities, she's very pleasing. She's respecting Haggai, even though he's, you know, he's just a eunuch working for the king, but she's respecting him. And he's appreciating that and showing his appreciation. She listens to Mordecai and obeys him because she didn't reveal her heritage. Then when she's about to go into the king, she listens to Haggai's advice. He tells her what to take and she obeys him and takes in. And lo and behold, she becomes queen. When you're being obedient and humble, there's great joy in your life. Can God count on you to accomplish his will like he did with Esther? Chapter 3 is sharing the truth, which is going to create peace. Now, I take the end of chapter 2 and slide it into chapter 3 because it fits. Mordecai, at the end of chapter 2, he is coincidental being right there to overhear the plot to kill the king by a couple of the king's people. So he tells Esther, she tells the king, it gets recorded, those guys get offed, and the king survives. But Mordecai doesn't get rewarded. But he shared that plot, okay? And then, lo and behold, the enemy of the Jews get promoted to second to the king. Why does he do that? I'm sure this guy who's an arrogant person, there's no way he should have been promoted to this. But God's working. And God's bringing these people up. God's causing things to happen. Then Mordecai shares the truth with Haman. Because when Haman comes riding out, everybody's supposed to show, bow and show homage. But Mordecai refuses to do that. It's not because Mordecai doesn't like Haman. Mordecai doesn't bow, show homage to anybody, right? That's his character. That's him showing, I'm a Jew, and that's it. Well, that just causes Haman's arrogance to explode, and then he comes up with a plot to kill all, not just Mordecai, but all the Jewish people. And then he writes a... Because he's second in command, he writes a decree which says on the 13th of the last month, all the Jewish people uh, can be killed and their wives and children and their lands plundered. And he sends that throughout all the, the nation and everybody's confused. You know, what's brought this on? Why is this thing happening? And then what you need to see with chapter 3 is, do you judge your actions? Because see... Every time I've read it, I always said, well, why did Mordecai not bow? Because look what Mordecai has caused to happen. Well, Mordecai is just being Mordecai and being the obedient person of God he needs to be. And that's what you need to ask yourself. Do you bow your head when you're with a whole bunch of people and give thanks for the food? Or do you just continue to act like the rest of the people? Maybe somebody will see you bow your head, but does that matter? What kind of a stir will that cause? Will that not create anger? You can't worry about those things. You just need to be the person of God you need to be. If that creates something, let it happen because they're picking up on something. That's what Mordecai did, and look what it was able to accomplish. Chapter 4, patience, trusting in God's blessings. The plot is exposed. All the Jews throughout the land are humbling themselves and, and, and weeping and mourning because of, of this uh, death sentence that they've been given for the end of the year at the, on the last, uh, in the last month on the 13th. So what does Mordecai do? Well, he sends a message in to Esther and says, you need to go to the king and, and plead for the people. 
right? But she fears for her life because she hasn't seen the king in 30 days. He's in his throne room. And if anybody approaches and they haven't been asked to approach, they can be killed unless the king holds out his scepter. But it's interesting. This could be the key verse to this whole book, what, uh, what Mordecai says. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? Who knows whether or not you have this job that you have for such a time as this, that you can make an influence, a godly influence, on the people around you, or, or your friends and your, and your family? You know, why are you where you're at? Is it for just your own selfishness? Is it just for your own financial gain? Or is there a spiritual reason that God has put you where he's put you? And so she requests for a three-day fast for, for all the Jews, and then she will go to the king. And her statement is, if I perish, I perish, which is Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says, you know, you got to fear God and not fear men. And that's what you need to think about, right? And so the question you need to ask is, what is God's purpose for you? And are you willing to step up? Chapter 5 is kindness, obeying God's blessing. Well, God has blessed her by making her queen, so she dresses the part. She puts on her queen robes, and she goes into the, the throne room and puts her life on the line, right? And he holds out the scepter, and he accepts her. She's got God on her side. And then she's invited... Then she invites the king and Haman to a banquet. And Haman's arrogance is just blinding. He doesn't see anything that's going on, so he races home because he was at a banquet with the king and he's going again the next day, right? And he brags of all his riches. And, but he still saw Mordecai not bowing, and that just infuriates him. So his family says, build a gallows, hang that guy tomorrow. So yes, he, so he does. He builds the gallows, and then first thing in the morning, he's going to go in and see the king. Well, chapter 5 is, do you play your part? Do you, are you the child of God that you need to be 24-7, or are you only a Christian on a Sunday morning? Chapter 6, sharing the blessings. The king couldn't sleep. Coincidence? And then when he gets up, he has the chronicles read to him, and lo and behold, the chronicles that are read to him is the, the plot that Mordecai exposes to save the king's life. Coincidence? See, God's working in people's lives. You think they're coincidences. You need to think again and to see how God is setting things up so that you can accomplish things for him. But are you willing to take the step and go forward? So in comes Mordecai, or in comes Haman, wants to hang Mordecai, and the king looks at him and says, how do I, do I honor a man who's faithful to the king? Haman steps into it, and now he finds himself going throughout the city, proclaiming the faithfulness of Mordecai, who's on the horse, as Haman walks through with total humility and he's just wiped out Mordecai he's got to be happy and he's got to be just oh he's he's exalted right by God Haman goes home and his family says hey you're in trouble you're a dead man because you're messing with the Jews and that's the end of it so that's chapter six and at the end of chapter six what you need to see is God exalts at the right time he exalted Mordecai just at the right time. Mordecai would have said, oh, man, I didn't get anything for helping the king. Yeah, at the right time. So when you think you've done something, maybe at the right time, God can use that to help better things to happen than just for you to get a little bit of reward. So remember that. God exalts at the right time. Chapter 7 is trusting God's guidance. Well, 
this day, she's going to have the, the, the banquet, but she's looked out and she's seen Haman celebrating Mordecai, so she knows. She knows, she can see by the signs that God's working with her. And she has the banquet and that the, at the banquet she pleads. She exposes herself to being a Jew and her people are Jews and she pleads to the king for her life and her people's life. Whom the king's going, well, who would ever do such a thing? And uh, here you go. Haman's the guy. What are we going to do with this guy? And one of the eunuchs says, well, he's got this beautiful gallows built. Hang him. So the king has Haman hanged on it. Esther is faithful, steps up and says what she needs to say, right? Are you a voice for the church? Are you a voice for the body of Christ when you need to be? Are you prepared to be? Gentleness is obeying God's guidance. Mordecai is promoted, given the king's ring. Can't revoke the laws of the king. Can't revoke what Haman put forward. So they build a new law, which is going to totally work against what Haman said. So their law says the Jews can defend themselves and they can kill the women and children, and they can plunder the land, is what they can do. And then they send this out, and then all the peoples of the land see this second decree coming out that the Jews are going to defend themselves, and most of the people fearing the Jews, uh, fearing Mordecai, they are going to help the Jews. And the gentleness in this, I think you need to see, is they've sent this out and they've warned all the people. The people that are going to attack them on the 13th of the last month now know they're up to up against a big fight. So do they back down or do they continue to go for the attack? They go for the attack and that's what chapter 9 and 10 is all about, sharing God's guidance. The Jews defend themselves and they kill 75,000 in the provinces, 127 provinces, and they kill 500 in the town of Susa, including uh, Haman's uh, 10 sons. And this is the key of self-control. This is such a big lesson that I think so many people miss. They did not plunder nor kill the women and children. And that is right across the 127 provinces. And Mordecai did not tell them not to plunder. He just sent out the decree. Because these people are God's people, because this is the character of God, he's not going to take advantage of a situation in which he finds himself. That's for the wicked people to do. They didn't plunder, which teaches the, the wives and the children. And I think that quells the racism that's going through the country. Not only does it eliminate the real racist guys, but it also shows those families the Jews don't have a hatred for anybody. And they don't have bad feelings, right? On the next day, they hung Haman's ten sons. Now, I believe Haman's ten sons were probably, probably dead. Esther says, can we kill anybody who attacks? And the king allows that. 300 people step up. And I think hanging those 10 sons brought out those races that they didn't get the first day because they were going to try to at least save the bodies and bring them down. But 300 die, so they're totally eliminating all of this racism that's going on in the country. And now they have this yearly celebration of the Feast of Purim. People say the reason why Esther is in the Bible is because it explains why there's a Feast of Purim. I don't believe that's true. I believe that Esther's in the Bible because it shows God working in people's lives behind the scenes, right? They don't plunder, they show mercy. So what you see in this book is God relies on 
Azarius is pride, Vashti's morals, Esther's obedience, Mordecai's faithfulness, Haman's arrogance, the Jews' mercy. How, what's God going to rely on you if he needs to use you to accomplish his will? And he caused Esther to become queen, Mordecai to overhear the murder plot, Haman to be appointed to high position, Azarius to sleep, to lose his sleep, and then listen to the Chronicles. God causes things to happen. They're not coincidences. So that his will can be accomplished, are we willing to step up? Many people claim they don't see God working in Esther, but he did. Many people claim they don't see God working in their lives, but he does. We just need to look a little harder. He is active in our lives, as we see in Esther. The question is, are we active with him? And that's the challenge. Thanks for watching.